Periscope, I had to put you guys on mute. Um, Periscope, unfortunately, gets um, a little bit out of hand, a little disrespectful, so uh, we have to mute um, Periscope and inshallah ta'ala after the lecture is over. I'll, I'll start it again and open it up for questions and answers inshallah ta'ala. All right? So just be patient with me. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. والصلاه والسلام على اشرف الانبياء والمرسلين وعلى اله واصحابه اجمعين الحمد لله welcome to um, our next episode of the man logic series and this will be man logic number 8 and this is called uh, survivor's guilt survivor's guilt the baby daddy conundrum all right so, in this uh, discussion, we're going to talk about why men um, invite the baby mama drama into their lives. And a lot of the baby mama drama that many of us experience as men, and I'm, I'm not including myself in that, but I'm a man as well. And so, I don't want to separate myself from that, even though these are not necessarily issues that affect me personally. But I'm still a man, and that could possibly be my situation as well. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we could all just be one situation away from having baby mama drama. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's important for us to understand why we invite these type of things into our lives. So, I want men as well as women who um, are separated from um, separated from their ex-husbands. And they have children by men that they are not married to. All right. I want you guys to pay attention to this. All right. I want you guys to pay attention to this. All right. So men who have children by women that they are no longer married to and women who have children by men that they are no longer married to. This this talk is specifically for you. For you, <laughs> all right. Um, but it is also something that um, also um, something that you know we need to educate ourselves to because we may have children that may be of the age of marriage uh, or children that are married, and they may possibly have you know some experiences with these things. So um, I want us all to pay attention in shallow time. Uh, the first thing I want to lead with is a, a verse from the Quran. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Do not let your hands be the cause of your own destruction. Okay? I'm going to lead with that. I'm going to lead with that ayat. Alright? Because a lot of the things, a lot of the baby mama drama that we experience as men, we invite that into our lives. And I'm going to tell you how. Okay? We invite that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is basically telling us in this ayah not to allow our behavior to become self-destructive. Don't destroy yourself by your own hands. You guys follow me? Don't let your behavior become self-destructive. Do not do something, right? And then allow that to turn around and be the cause of your own destruction. Alright? I'll find the ayah for you inshallah ta'ala. And you can, a simple Google, don't let your hands be the cause of your own destruction. Wa ahsinu, inna Allah yuhibbul muhsinin. 
can't, I'm, I'm not recalling exactly the Sora and the Aya, but you can Google it. And if you Google it, please um, type the Aya so everybody can see where to find it. Uh, I usually do that when I'm preparing my lectures, but um, this Aya just came to my mind. Um, and I didn't have a time, uh, chance to go back and find out exactly where it is. Okay? So, Allah subhanahu understand the concept of this ayah. وَلَا تُلْقُوا بِأَيْدِيكُمْ إِلَى تَهْلُكَ Do not let your hands be the cause of your own destruction. Meaning, do not engage in behaviors that will turn around and be the cause of your destruction. You guys, follow me. This is a concept in our religion. Alright? So, guilt. Guilt. Let's start there. That's an excellent starting point. Sword 2, Ayat 195. Thank you, Sister Khadija. Thank you. Sword 2, Ayat 195. Guilt has been defined as uh, a bad feeling. Alright? So we're talking about guilt here. Men, we suffer from guilt. It eats away at us on levels that is unexplainable. And to avoid the discomfort of guilt as men, we will do things that, subhanAllah, you'll see towards, you know, as we get more into this discussion, how guilt eats away at us as men because of the things that we have done in our relationships with women. And we start to feel guilty. And then we'll open a door because of that guilt that will turn around and be the cause of our own destruction. And... To avoid that, to be proactive and avoid that, stop doing things that will contribute to your guilt. Once you start feeling guilty as a man, you start to allow certain things to take place that eventually turns around and become the cause of your own destruction. So to avoid that is to stop doing things that would make you feel guilty. And learn how to stand in your discomfort if you've done things that are good. But don't try to escape the discomfort of guilt. Alright, so guilt has been defined as a bad feeling. A bad feeling um, caused by knowing or thinking that you have done something bad or wrong. Okay? Men, I want you guys to follow me. Because this, this guilt, it eats away at us. It destroys us. Okay? Guilt is defined as a bad feeling. It's a feeling that you have caused by knowing or believing that you have done something wrong or bad. Okay? that's We're, we're wired for guilt as human beings. There's, there's no escaping that unless you just function in a world without a consciousness. You have no conscience. So you can do things and not feel guilty about it. And even people who don't necessarily have a conscience, they learn how to numb themselves. Right, And a lot of times that happens because of sin. If you notice, the Prophet ﷺ was very clear about some of the ill effects of sin. And one of the ill effects of sin is that it numbs you to your conscience. You, you don't have a conscience anymore. You don't have a, a connection to a higher power. Right? That connection is broken through sin. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, He said that when a servant commits a sin, a black stain is placed on his heart. That's the numbing process. Because this is the same ran, the same rust that Allah mentions in the Quran, right? No, it is rust. That is on their hearts because of the things that they used to do. Understand? 
That's that ran in the Arabic language. Ra, Aleph, Nun. Ran. Um, it's, it's a, you know, your heart is stained, tainted, rust. Your heart becomes rusty because of sin, right? That when a servant commits a sin, a black stain is placed on his heart. If he feels remorse and he makes toba, he repents, then the black stain is erased. But if he insists and he consistently goes into that sin, then the stain grows bigger and bigger until the person has a completely black heart. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in another hadith about that your, your heart becomes one of two types. Qalbun aswad wa qalbun abiyat. You have a black heart and a white heart. The black heart, he said, He said that this black heart is like an overturned cup. You take a cup and you flip it upside down, right? Nothing comes out of it. Nothing goes in it. And he said, this heart, it does not acknowledge good. Nor does it repel or reject evil. You understand? There's a numbing process here. Alright? So, even from a spiritual perspective, when we sin, we are subjecting ourselves to a numbing process. A numbing of our consciousness. Understand? And people who want to function on a higher frequency of consciousness, these are people who, like many of our scholars in the past, like many of the righteous predecessors of the past, they avoid sin. They stay away from disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They don't teeter on it. They don't dabble in it, right? In gray areas, gray matters of the religion. You know, they don't do that. While we do that today, we say, oh, well, it's not a major sin. And we'll dabble in it. And then we wonder why our outlook on religion, our outlook on spirituality, our outlook on our relationship with God is so distorted. It's distorted. Because you're seeing, you're seeing the world, you're seeing spirituality, you're seeing religion through a very rusty lens. And that is your heart. Alright? As Allah says in the Quran, إِنَّمَا لَا تَعْمَلْ أَبْصَارُ وَلَكِنْ تَعْمَلْ قُرُوبَ الَّتِي فِي الصُّدُورِ It is not the eyes that go blind, it is the hearts that are in the chest. Understand? You're seeing the world through a rusty lens and that is your heart. And this is why emphasis in Islam is placed greatly on purifying the heart. Alright? So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this feeling in the Quran many times, the feeling of guilt. Many times in the Quran. And usually when he mentions guilt in the Quran, in the number of places he mentions guilt, um, someone has engaged in an act that later on proved to be wrong. Someone has engaged in an act that later on it turned around that they were wrong. Right? After I just recently did this video, I've received so many emails and inboxes of people saying, you know, Shadid, I spoke about you on this occasion. You know, I apologize. I'm sorry, and things like this. And, and I'm, I'm just saying, like, you don't have to do that. I understand. I get it. But it's that feeling of guilt that I wronged somebody, and now it's being brought to my attention, and the shame and the guilt that is associated with that. All right. But we're going to look at this in a more, uh, a more uh, marital, you know, a marital context. All right. So. If you can think in the Qur'an where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions guilt, think of all of the stories in the Qur'an where someone was wronged and then turned around and realized that, 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 that they were wrong. Let me give you one ayah from surah number 49, ayah 6, surah to Hujrat. 
And this is something that many of us fall guilty, you know, you know, we, we're guilty of, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu in ja'akum fasikum bi naba'in fatabayyinu an tusibu qawman bi jahalatin fatusbihu ala ma fa'altum nadirin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, O you who believe, when a fasik, a disbelieving, rebellious servant brings you, person, individual, brings you some news, فتبينوا فتثبتوا في رواية then ascertain the facts. Someone bring you some news, go verify that it's the truth. He said, أن تصيبوا قومن بجهالتن or at least you harm people in ignorance because you don't go back and verify it. You accept the news as it was given to you and in turn you harm people in ignorance. And to see Bukoman be jahala, you harm people in ignorance. For to speak who alama faltum nadimin. And then after you realize that you have harmed people, then afterwards you feel guilty. You're remorseful. You feel bad. You feel bad that you engaged in gossip and behavior that without verifying any of the information that was given to you and you harm people and then afterwards nadimin you are remorseful you feel remorse you feel bad you feel guilt all right so that's one ayah that's just the the um, you know just the the general discussion surrounding being guilty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned the same, kind of giving us a more um, interpersonal, between two individuals, um, this feeling of guilt, right? I always like using the story of Prophet Yusuf, which is so many lessons in that story, man. You know, about someone who was oppressed and taken advantage of and, you know, by his own brothers, by his own brothers, right? By his own brothers, you know, I remember listening to Muhammad Munir Mufti's um, interview that he did, and he was saying that one of the biggest trials that he ever had to endure was being betrayed. Having someone smile in your face, you know, play like they're your friend, and then turn around and betray you. And it's real. And that's a life lesson for, for, for any one of us who has ever experienced that. That's a life lesson that you never forget. You never forget that. And as a result of that, you become very guarded. Sometimes unnecessarily Because you don't know who to trust You don't know who to trust You're hurt You know that betrayal is deep man It's really deep man When somebody takes your kindness for weakness Someone takes your friendship And then you know And uses that against you man that there's, there's no, But even worse than that Let's look at the betrayal in terms of marriage How do you think that plays out With a person With a person's psyche if you're married to someone and then the person that you're married to betrays your trust, you let your guard completely down in front of this individual and they turn around and they betray you. There's nothing, there's nothing more impactful on your heart than that. So when we look at the story of Yusuf, look at what they did to Yusuf. They sold him. They even contemplated killing him. They even contemplated killing him. They sold him, right, into slavery. His own brothers, his own blood. Right? And then Yusuf, alayhi salam, goes through all of these different trials. And then eventually he reaches a point where he becomes the king of Egypt. Right? So he's now in a position of power. And this is where 
<clears throat> this is where a person's true character comes out. When you have now been oppressed by people and then you arrive at a position of authority and power where you can now turn around and crush the people that did that to you and you choose not to. That's power because you did not allow your pain to control your narrative. You understand what I'm saying? That's power. And some of us are powerless against the atrocities that was done that, that were done to us. If we ever got in a position of authority or power to do something to the people that harmed us, oh my gosh, man. It, it would it would be it would be a you know catastrophic. It would be catastrophic if we could do to some of the people who harmed us, if we could, you know, ex ex extract retribution from them. Right? You understand what I'm saying? Like, you know. But that's where true character comes from. A man, a real leader, a real man is not known by how he treats his friends, but how you treat your enemies. Understand that. That's a lesson. A real leader, real genuine individual is not known by how he treats his friends. How do you treat your enemies, man? Because if you are the, the petty type that every moment you get an opportunity to smear the honor of your enemies then you can tell the type of individual that that person is. That says a lot about you as a person. You have no character. But to be harmed and to be disrespected and to all of that, and then reach a position of power where you can extract retribution and you choose not to, that's powerful, man. That's powerful. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala captures this very moment when Yusuf's brothers realize that the person that is in charge is their brother Yusuf. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to paint this picture for you, trying to bring you into this world, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Qalu a'innaka la'anta Yusuf. The brother said, are you Yusuf? Qala ana Yusufu wa hada akhi kadamanna Allahu alayna innahu may yattaqi wa yasbir fa inna Allaha la yudhi'u ajra al-muhsinin They said are you Yusuf Mind you they sold him into slavery as a kid and now this king of Egypt is calling them to the court to the front of the court to address them about something and then they look up and they say wow that's our brother Yusuf they said, Anta Yusuf, are you Yusuf? And Yusuf said, yes, I am Yusuf. And this is my brother, Bin Yamin, alina, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has favored us, has favored us. Here, here are the two qualities that allow Yusuf to arrive at that place. He said, He indeed who fears God, fears Allah, and is patient that Allah will never cause the reward of the good doers to be neglected it was through the fear and consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and patience that a person that goes through whatever trial tribulation they go through in their life that they will come out on top they will come out on top but when you're harmed and then you spend the rest of your experience trying to extract retribution from the people that harmed you, guess what happens? Guess what happens? You still end up a loser. Because you are overpowered by your desire to extract retribution from people, from, from human beings. 
You are stepped in in the lane of God. You now assume the role of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah's, one of Allah's name is Al-Muntaqim. He is the one that extracts retribution from his servants when they oppress one another. That's his job. That's not my job. People say, oh, you should do this, or you should say this, you should do this video. Nah, man, let Allah handle that. That's Allah's job. That's not my job. I'm not God. I'm not playing. I don't have a God complex. But when you spend your life, everything about you is driven. And this is why boxers, you know, never lose fights when they get frustrated. Because you're, you're boxing, the sport of boxing is, is now through pain. And retribution, seeking retribution and pain. You want to hurt this person. And you get so wrapped up in your frustration that the other person, as long as they keep their calm, they're going to beat you. Even though you are a better fighter than they are. You, you understand what I'm saying? Because your frustration and your desire to see that person lose is greater than you harnessing that energy and using it in a way that would make you come out a winner. You understand? These are life lessons, man. Life lessons, man. Life lessons. So understand, you know, you know, some every battle doesn't need to be fought by you. Some battles you have to let Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala handle that. That's that's his job. Let him do that. My job is to heal from the pain and use that as an opportunity to excel. Because that's what pain does. It humbles you, it breaks you down, and then it builds you back up. If you use the experience in the right way. But if you harm, you were harmed by someone and then you spend your entire life trying to get back at that person, you're a loser. You're a loser. So Yusuf said, That he who fears Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he is patient. Patience. Patience. You'll get it back. Trust me. Here's the point of reference here. So the brothers, they say to Yusuf, they said, Qalu tallahi. They said, by Allah, we swear to God. Qalu tallahi. We swear to God. We swear by Allah. Laqad athirakallahu alayna. Allah has given you precedence over us. Laqad athirakallahu alayna wa inkudna lakhati'een. That by Allah, Allah has truly favored you over us. And we were wrong. in in We were wrong. They're guilty now. That feeling of guilt. And what does Yusuf do? Yusuf said, He said, I hold nothing against you today. All of the stuff that y'all did to me, I don't hold you accountable for any of that. Because I realize you guys were driven by jealousy, envy. I get it. I get it. If I was in your situation, I would have probably done the same thing. Alhamdulillah. Allah will forgive you. And he is the most merciful of those who have mercy. Okay? So you got the you got the lesson here. Gave you two verses from the Quran that deals with the issue of guilt. So guilt is a real feeling. It's a real feeling when one has done something wrong or believes that he has done something wrong. Sometimes we didn't even do anything wrong, but we believe we did something wrong. And that feeling of guilt is still there. Do men experience this feeling of guilt when they divorce their wives? 
Here's the million dollar question. Here's the million dollar question. When men divorce their wives, especially if there's children involved, especially if they believe that the divorce was premature, meaning after they divorced, they realize that I probably pulled the trigger a little too early. I could have been a little more patient. I could have. Does that eat away at you as a man? Does that eat away at you? I'm asking the men that are on here. Does that eat away at you? If any of you have ever experienced divorce before, does that eat away at you as a man? Absolutely. Absolutely. It eats you up in the inside. So men do experience a feeling of guilt sometimes when they divorce their wives simply because sometimes they believe that it was premature. I could have salvaged the relationship. I could have, you know, I could have done, I could have done more. Especially if you're the superhero rescuer type, right? And that woman just kind of slipped through your fingers. You feel less than a man. You're just like, dang, man. I know I could have just been a little more patient, right? Especially if there's children involved. And we feel like we've divorced prematurely or unjustly. Or we feel like we were the cause of the divorce. Right? We feel like we were the cause of the divorce. We know that we were the cause of the divorce. We know. We kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing, wanting the woman to be perfect, perfect, perfect. And then when she couldn't take it no more, she's like, I went out. Or when he feels like, all right, she's, you know, ain't no, ain't no, isn't, there is no sense in investing any more time and energy in her because she ain't going to be no more good than what she is. And I went out. And then you marry somebody else and then you realize, damn, I should have stayed where I was. I'm, I regret that. So either we feel like it's children involved, we divorce prematurely or unjustly, or we feel like we were the cause of the divorce to begin with. And these things um, usually are never reconciled with a lot of men because usually our therapy is to jump into another relationship. That's our, uh, that's our therapy. All right. They said the easiest way to forget about somebody is to get a new somebody. Right. And some men, unfortunately, you know, unconsciously, they live by that. They jump from one relationship into another relationship. And as a result of that, you know, these feelings of guilt are never reconciled. Pay attention here. The feelings of guilt are never reconciled. Introspection is never done, right? When we jump from one marriage, we jump from one relationship to the next. And this is also why we keep making the same mistakes over and over. Because you didn't have time. You didn't have a window to reflect. You didn't have a window to reflect. So you end up marrying the same situation all over again, right? You think that divorcing her and moving out of her life and moving into another uh, somebody else's life, you think that I'm going to get a new situation, a better situation. I'm going to have a new car to play with. But you end up realizing that it's the same vehicle. It's the same. You jump from one vehicle right into another vehicle. It's the same situation all over again because you never gave yourself time to reflect and ponder over how in the world did you end up in that situation to begin with, which is why in Islam we have what's called what? In the period. Divorce is not just over because a man pronounces divorce on his wife. There is a period. They have to wait. It's called a waiting period. Idda. And for the menstruating woman, 
you know, I mean, it's, you know, three menstrual cycles. And for the woman who does not have a regular menstrual cycle or doesn't have a mince regard anyway, then it is three months. And both of those uh, positions are confirmed in the Quran. Absolutely. So men, we, we have to really take the time out, man, and, and let the Islamic system work for us. We don't let the system work for us. We work the system. And that's the problem. We work the system. We don't let the system work for us. We work the system. We're going to make it work. Instead of allowing the, 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 the Islamic protocols that have been given to us, allow the system to work for us. It's possible that we haven't had much success with Islam as a religion, as a community. We haven't had much success with this religion because we are not letting the system work for us. We're working, we're too busy working the system. Someone says, you know, you got to have a wali. I don't need no wali. I don't need no chaperone. I'm grown. And then you turn around and you commit zina, you commit fornication or adultery with the woman. She ends up pregnant or she ends up emotionally attached. And now you got to marry her anyway, even though you don't want to because your guilt, your, your guilt and your shame that you did this, you know, is dri driving you now, now becoming your navigation. Stop letting guilt and shame become the navigating, you know, system for you. Clear text from the Quran and Sunnah logic. You know what I mean? Like this is this is clear man logic. Okay, the Prophet Wasallam said, "La mu'min fi marratain." That the believer is not stung in the same hole twice. We done got stung in the same hole fifty times. What's our excuse? I mean, this is real talk. How men? How do we keep ending up in the same situation over and over again? Okay, so if before divorce, men, I need you to ask yourself this question. If before divorce, you've asked yourself, are things really that bad? Before you divorce your wife, if you started asking yourself, are things really that bad? Do I really need to divorce her? Or you say, how can I do this to my kids? Or you say, am I going to regret this later? Chances are that you're suffering from guilt. And if you go ahead and do it anyway, then without a doubt, your guilt has been confirmed. You are suffering from guilt. I'll wait. Are there any brothers right now listening to me talk? And everything I'm saying is striking a chord with you. You, uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm almost positive there. I'm almost positive there are. Did I, did I ask myself, did I really try everything the right way before I chose this? Absolutely. Okay. So if you were asking yourself this, these questions before you divorced her, and then you went ahead and you divorced her, then guess what? As you move into your next relationship, you have unresolved guilt. So now this guilt sometimes is exacerbated if in fact he finds a more healthy situation, he gets settled in, and she doesn't, or deep down inside, uh, we really uh, want to, you know, we really did not want to divorce her. Alright, we find, you know, we find another situation, we marry into another situation, and that situation seems to be fine. But in the back of your mind, you're telling yourself that, I could have had this in the last situation if I would have just been patient. So now guilt is eating you alive. 
eating you alive. Sometimes we divorce a woman just to prove to her we don't need her. And then we go and we marry somebody else. But in fact, our heart is still attached to that ex-woman. We just wanted to prove a point. Because our egos get in the way, man. We suffer from that so badly, man. We give precedence to our egos over logic. Real logic. Not man logic. Real logic. We give precedence to our egos. So we'll divorce a woman just to prove to her, I don't need you. There's other women out here that want me. <laughs> other women out here, there's more fish in the sea. And we'll say these things to women that we are married to. Women who are the mothers of our children. We'll say these things to them. And we'll go and we'll jump right into another relationship. And we suffer from what is called survivor's guilt. Or what is called survivor syndrome. It's a real thing. <laughs> real thing. Survivor syndrome. Men suffer from this greatly. Okay. Why do you suffer from survivor's guilt? It's a mental condition that occurs when a person believes that they have done something wrong by surviving a traumatic event when others did not. And in the case of divorce, uh, sometimes men beat themselves up feeling as if they could have done more to salvage the marriage. And as a result, we fail to create healthy boundaries between ourselves and our ex-wives who have our children and allow them to infringe on the healthiness of our current marriage. Uh, uh, let me paint this for you. So we're in a relationship with a woman. We're very immature, we're, you know, emotionally very immature. Right? We're 30 biologically, but emotionally we're 12. Right? We're 40 biologically, but emotionally we're 17. Right? And we're in a relationship with a woman who may not necessarily be perfect, but um, there was a lot of potential there, evidenced by the fact that you married her. There was something you saw in the person to marry them, right? And then we, we screw the relationship up from top to bottom. We make all types of mistakes or whatever the case may be. And then we separate from this person. And then we marry someone new. And then that someone new, we're a little bit more patient with the someone new because we don't, we don't want to, you know, go through this serial marriage, you know, phase. So we're a little bit more patient than we, with the second one than we were with the first one. And in the process of being patient, more patient with the second one, we really start to see how much we jacked our first relationship up. And we start to feel guilty. The second wife starts to show us some things about ourselves. And then we start to say, dang, if I would have known this in my first marriage, I probably would have never had to leave her. Even the baby mother, the, the mother of your children, sees you in a relationship with your new wife and she becomes very, very upset because she sees you giving her things that you didn't even give her. And guess what? This also happens in polygyny. Absolutely. This also happens in polygyny. Because the husband feels guilty that, you know, he married a second wife. Knowing that his first wife couldn't either handle it or he pursued a second wife in a manner that was inappropriate or haram. And to compensate his first wife for all the drama he created in her life, what does he do with the second wife, with the first wife? What happens? You guys tell me. What happens? 
He goes after a second wife. The first wife goes into this frenzy, this emotional frenzy. She doesn't want it to happen. She didn't sign up for it. She don't want no parts of it. Blah, 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 blah. And this is especially, this is even exacerbated even more if he does it in a manner that is haram. And finally, he gets the second wife. Though this the first wife acquiesce. She just submits to the fact that, okay, I ain't going nowhere. I'm not going to let this woman push me out of my marriage. Right? So I stay. But I stay with conditions. Nah, not that he neglects the second wife. What does he do? In order to compensate the first wife for all the drama, all the hell that he took her through, what does he do to the first wife? He gives the first wife unrestricted access to his relationship with his second wife. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we, we feel guilty. Nah, he doesn't buy the first wife more. Nah, 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 nah. He lets the first wife start now making, calling shots in his second marriage. He lets her dictate the marriage. Yes, facts. Absolutely. Absolutely. She starts to make the all, call all the shots. Am I lying? <laughs> and we do this with the baby mother too. This happens with the baby mother. We divorce our ex. We, we divorce the current wife. She now becomes the ex-wife. She becomes the ex-wife, and then we marry somebody else. And then we realize how much we did wrong in the first marriage. So to compensate our baby mother, our baby mother, right? To compensate her, we allow her to have full access to our new marriage. Oh, so you love her more than you love me? Oh, so I see you doing things with her that you wasn't doing with me. Oh, no, nah, it's not like that. Come on, you know I would never, you know, love the what what we had. I would never love anybody just, yeah, man. Yeah. And the more and more you feed that monster, the more and more she is going to infringe on your current relationship. This is why you have baby mama drama. Do not let, do not let your own hands be the cause of your own destruction. And that's even worse, man. That uh, I mean, it happens to both sides. Right now, we're talking to the men. I'm talking to men right now. I'm not talking about th that this happens to women. Yes, it does happen to the sisters. Yes, you got baby daddy drama. And we'll get to that when I start my series on dealing with the women's issues. We'll get to all of this. Trust me, I'm not going to neglect you. Trust me. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala let me live long enough, trust and believe. I will get around to addressing these issues with the women. I'm not going to neglect you. Trust me. Right now, I'm addressing the men. I'm addressing the men right now. Alright? So, the second wife starts to see him as a de youth. Anyone remember what that term means? The Prophet said that the youth is not going to Jannah. The second wife starts to see her husband as a de youth. Why? What is a de youth and why does the second wife see her husband as such? As an individual that's not going to gender. A cuckold. Very good. Second wife starts to see her husband as a cuckold. 
A man who allows his wife to do and say as she pleases, unrestrictedly, no boundaries, no nothing. And this is to reward, to compensate the first wife for infringing, allowing the second wife to infringe on her supposed happiness. Whether financially, whether emotionally, whether spiritually, whatever the case may be. So we'll give the first we'll give the first wife a pass to infringe and to dictate. I don't want her doing this, and I don't want her doing that. I don't want her in my car. I don't want her around my kids. I don't want her coming to family functions. I don't want her doing this. I don't want her doing that. I don't want her. And, and we're like, okay, okay. Okay, because we'll, we'll agree to everything just as long as she let us have the second wife. But at the expense of what? <laughs> at the expense of what? <laughs> the more you acquiesce, the more you agree to the terms that she set for you, the more power you are giving her. Letting her be the man, right? <laughs> She's now the husband. And, and this, is, this is all because you wanted to pursue a second wife. But at the expense of what? And then he loses all respect from both sides. Because now your first wife don't respect you because you ain't got a, you don't have a voice. Because you messed up. You brought a second wife into this family, into this relationship. So according to her, you don't have a voice. And you better be lucky I'm still here. Understand? I'm doing you a favor. And so I'm going to dictate to you how this situation is going to go. And then when he goes to the second wife, the second wife is like, but I, I thought you was the man. How you letting your first wife dictate, you know, you get no respect from either side. You get no respect from either side. Not your first wife, not your second wife. Change your threshold, bruh. There you go. Very good. Very good. This was the advice of Prophet Ibrahim to his son, Ismail. He came home, he asked the wife, how's your living conditions? She said, you know, we don't have this, we don't have that. He said, when your husband get home, give him my salams and tell him to change his threshold. Meaning, let you go. <laughs> let you go. You, you're not fit for marriage. Let you go. Understand? Men have to, you know, men have to understand, man. Don't stop letting guilt put you in these situations, man, to make you look less than a man. The same thing with the baby mama, with the baby mother. You divorced your first wife, right? You divorced her. Y'all got children in between you. And then you go and you remarry. And you're trying to have a healthy relationship in this new marriage, but you got this disgruntled baby mother who you know that you divorced her prematurely. You know you oppressed her. You know now you've come to realize that as you've matured in your in your current relationship, how much you did wrong in your previous relationship. So now you start to give baby mama a pass to infringe on your new relationship. So let's go further with this. If you remember, the Prophet ﷺ did the same thing. Do you remember? We had this discussion before. This is me and logic. Man logic. We think that when we done something wrong to somebody, we did something, then we'll give you a pass to infringe on somebody else to make up for what we did. The Prophet ﷺ was admonished by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this. What did he do? He came out of the house of Hafsa and he was with Madia. 
And when Hafsa realized that, you know, he was in my house on my day, in my bed, with a woman that wasn't me. Absolutely. So when Hafsa saw the Prophet Wasallam coming out of the home, she said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah. She said, Atef'alu hadha fi bayti wa fi yawmi wa ala firashi. She said, oh, Messenger of Allah, you do this on my day, in my house, in my bed, in my bed. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, Atardina in haramtaha He said, would you be pleased for me to make her haram on me? You see? The guilt. And women play on that guilt, man. Women play on that guilt. No, she was not his wife. She was a concubine. She, she ended up becoming the mother of his son, Ibrahim. But he never married Maria. She was not considered to be Umul Mu'minin, mother of the believers. She wasn't. She was a concubine. And that was something that was acceptable practice all throughout that region during that time. And they were permissible, you know, to be intimate with. But, you know, the Prophet ﷺ, he decided for whatever reason to do it there. And then upon exiting the home, Hafsa saw him. And the Prophet ﷺ trying to compensate her. Here's the guilt. Trying to compensate her. He ended up making Maria haram for himself. Saying that she's haram, I will never go to her again. Just to please Hafsa. Instead of just standing in the discomfort of the fact that, hey, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. We don't want to stand in the discomfort of our decisions. As men, we make a decision, we realize we harm somebody, we wrong somebody, and then we rush to try to make it right. But in trying to make it right, sometimes we end up making it worse. Because he made now something haram for himself that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made halal. The first ayat of Surah Al-Tahreem, Surah number 66, ayat 1. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say, Ya ayyuhan nabi, O Prophet, Allah is directly talking to his messenger. Ya ayyuhan nabi, O Prophet, Lima tu harrimuma ahallallahu lak. Why do you make haram for yourself what Allah made halal? Tabtagi maradata azwajik, seeking to please therewith your wife. You understand? That's, that's the guilt trip. As men, that's man logic. We feel like when we've wronged a woman, that we can allow her to infringe on the rights of someone else just to make up for what we did. And it's not right. It's not right. So a lot of the baby mama drama that we have in our lives with our, you know, you know, is unreconciled guilt. That's what it is. You realize that now you in your new relationship and you realize that, you know, you've done a lot of things wrong in your past relationship. You know what I mean? The same thing with a man in polygyny. You realize with your first wife, you know, you know, you wasn't you wasn't much of a, of a husband. You know what I mean? And then you go and you marry a second wife and you realize after you marry the second wife that, you know, you could have done things a lot better, a lot different. The second wife comes in with standards. You're not going to just treat her any type of way. So she's requesting and expecting more from you than you were willing to give to your first wife. And once you come to that realization, you begin to feel guilty. So you allow the first wife to begin to infringe and dictate on the life and the marriage uh, of the second wife as a, as a form of compensation. Mukafa. That's sword number 66, ayat 1. 
66 ayah of the first ayah in the surah. Actually, the name of the surah is called Tahrim, which means to make something haram. That's the title of the surah. And that was related to that incident with the Prophet That doesn't take anything away from him as our messenger, he's still the greatest man that has ever walked this earth. He's still our role model, still our example in every single facet of human life. Nonetheless, he was still a man. He was still a man. He was still a man. And when you exclude that from the narrative, then we are actually doing ourselves an injustice because you can't relate to somebody who's an angel. You can't relate to somebody who is not a human being, which is why when the Quraysh asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, well, if God wanted to send a messenger, why didn't he send an angel? And Allah responded by saying that if, you know, if we had sent an angel, then, then the affair would have been done. The angels don't come to, you know, live life with human beings. They come to serve a purpose. They, they come to serve a purpose. And that is either build or destroy. Name one angel that came to live amongst human beings and you know, share our lives and our experience with us. That's not what they come for. They either come in to build or destroy. Right? In the story of Ibrahim, the angels came down. What did they came? What did they come to do? They came to give Ibrahim glad tidings of a son, Ishaq, and they came to destroy the town of Sodom and Gomorrah. Build and destroy. Understand? Angels don't come to live amongst human beings. They come to serve a purpose. To build or to destroy. To bring revelation to the prophets. To build mankind. Or to come and, you know, destroy a nation because of their disobedience to God. The, the you know, uh, the people of Thamud. The people of Ad. The, the people of Fir'aun. I mean, like, come on. Just, you know what I mean? You name it. So um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that, you know, if we had sent, you know, an angel, then, you know, we would have destroyed, we would have, the affair would have been done. But we sent a man, we sent a man to live amongst human beings, from amongst themselves. All right. So it doesn't take anything away from the Prophet but it does not dismiss the fact that he was a prophet, does not dismiss the fact that he was a human being. All right. So. This was due to um, the guilt that he felt for infringing on the territory of his wife without, um, you know, with a woman that wasn't his wife. All right. With a woman that wasn't his wife. So he felt guilty that that feeling of guilt allowed him to make a concession to make to give her an allowance that he shouldn't have given. And this is what we do as men. We feel like when we wrong somebody, then our way to compensate that is to, you know, give a person. Is it safe to say in 2017 that the term baby mama or side chick would be considered a concubine? No, not at all. There is no such thing. Concubines are only used. Uh, that, that term concubine is only used in the realm of war. There's no war here. There's no war going on. This is not considered a concubine. Don't don't buy into that. I know that's a old Shubaha from the Darul Islam movement, where they believe that they were at war with America, and you know, quite frankly, they none of them ever lifted a gun to to do anything, to wage war, to do anything. You ain't gonna bust a grape in a in a food fight. You understand? So we came up with this term that we're in Darul Harb. This is the land of war, and then you know you can sleep with the non-Muslim women because they're concubine. Man, come on, man, miss me with that. If, if, if people still buy in, people buy into a lot of this stuff simply because they wanted to. 
They will look for any concession, any allowance, and they will buy right into it. Not because they actually wholeheartedly believed it. Nonetheless, the Prophet ﷺ allowed this because he infringed or infringed on the territory of another woman. And I said territory and not right because the Prophet ﷺ giving his wife, his wives, their knights, that was not a right that they had. That was something that the Prophet ﷺ gave, even though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exonerated him, even though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala excused him from that. He did not have to give his wife their, their knights. He did not have to distribute knights even equally amongst his wives. And that was exclusively for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Based upon the verse uh, 3351. Surah 33, Surah Al-Ahzab, Ayah 51. Proves that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was not, was not accountable for giving his wife their knights. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala said, Turji min min hunna you can go to any one of them that you want to, and you can bring any one of them to you that you want to. That was his choice. But he chose, in the spirit of trying to practice polygyny and be the blueprint for the rest of the community, to give each wife their night. But he did not have to. And you look today, where many men in polygyny, they have to give their wife, their wives, their nights, but they don't. <laughs> Even though they have the ability to. You have women in polygyny who ain't seen their husbands, in, you know, in weeks. What type of relation, what type of polygyny are you practicing? What type of polygyny are you practicing? You disappear from your wife for weeks and she doesn't see you, doesn't hear from you. Maybe a phone call here and there, maybe a text every two or three days. I mean, that's not polygyny. And we just like we separated the men from the boys, we got to separate what is polygyny from what is not polygyny. Because we lump it all in and we say it's all polygyny. That ain't polygyny, man. I don't know what you call that. That's called abandonment in Islam. That's called abandonment. <laughs> Alright, so you see the connection here. Right? You see the connection here. What is the minimum days that you have to spend? And all That all depends on what you and your spouse agree to. This is the purpose of the marriage contract. But a lot of us marry without a marriage contract and we just tweak it as we go along. And that ain't Islam either. <laughs> that ain't Islam either. Absolutely. That's a side chick. Very good. So you see the connection here. So it may not be that as a man you are doing something wrong by remarrying. Seeking a place where you can explore your happiness uh, is not haram. To remarry is not haram. You understand? To be married and be happy in a marriage. Some of us as men, we divorce a woman and then, you know, we, 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 you know, we feel guilty for being in a marriage and actually being happy. There's nothing wrong with being in a marriage now and being happy and you were in a previous marriage and you weren't able to give that wife what, you know, she needed at that time. And now you're in a new space, you're in a new marriage, and you're actually happy. There's nothing wrong with that, man. You didn't do anything wrong. You're premature divorce, divorcing a woman prematurely and getting out of the relationship. You have to stand in that discomfort. Just like when the Prophet ﷺ walked out the house with Nadia and, and Hafsa confronted him about what he did. You can't repair that. You can, you can apologize, you can say you're sorry. You can make Toba, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive you. 
But you cannot open the floodgates because of your guilt and allow this person to infringe on somebody else's rights to make that person feel better. Can't do that, man. That is not appropriate. That is not appropriate man behavior. You have to learn as a man to stand in your in the discomfort of the decision that you made. You made a decision to divorce the woman? Okay. You marry somebody else and now you found happiness and then when you look at your, your child's mother, you see that she's been in relationship after relationship after relationship and you start to say to yourself, Dag, man, I could have just been patient and been with her, you know, and alright, that's, that. be that as it may, but you gotta stand in that discomfort. You, you don't, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do something about it to make it right. That's the man logic in us. We feel like if I was a part of somebody else, then I need to go back and make it right. I need to go back and make it right. Sometimes you can't make it. You can't make it right. You can't make it right. You understand what I'm saying? You just have to stand in the discomfort. You just have to say to yourself, it is what it is. I messed up. I messed up. <laughs> and I got to live with that. I got to live with that. I got to live with the fact that my children are now being raised in somebody else's house, man. That was the decision that I made. It's uncomfortable as it is, but I got to live with that. But I can't make it right by giving her, you know, unrestricted access to my, you know, my current relationship just to make up for something that I believe that I did wrong. That's man logic and we need to challenge that, man. So just like taking on a second wife wasn't haram, it wasn't anything wrong with you if you did it the right way. If you did it the right way. Yes, I'm going to get to the ex-wife. She got to she got to endure some discomfort. Because some, the fact of the matter is that um, women are territorial. So even after you divorce a woman, if if the divorce was premature and she didn't feel like the, it was warranted, there's still a part of her that is connected to you. Once a woman is turned off to you, even if she's in a relationship with you, she's turned off. There's no bringing her back. <laughs> there's no salvaging that. There's no bringing her back. Women are like a faucet. They turn on and they turn off. Once she's off... There's no more, there's not even a drip. There's no more drip coming out the faucet. It's, it's, it's done, pretty much. But when a woman feels like, just like a man, when they feel like this was wrong, it was done, you know, prematurely, I know this could have worked, there's still a part of her that is attached to you. And sometimes, as baby mothers, they don't realize that the anger that they are expressing towards their, their ex-husbands is as a result of the fact that you still want to be with him. You're just too immature to... To own those feelings. Make no mistake about that. Facts. Absolutely. You're still connected to it. And you still wanted to make it work. And your anger and your, your angry baby mama attitude. That comes off because that is you trying to protect yourself. From showing that you really still care about him. May not be true for you. But I'm, I'm just telling you how it is. It's the same thing that girls do when we are in grammar school, right? When you're in pre-K, kindergarten, first grade, and a girl likes you, right? Does she come up to you and tell you she likes you? What does she do when she likes you? She hits you. She's very mean towards you, right? This is girls at six, seven, eight years old. That doesn't change because she's 30 or 35 or 40. <laughs> the anger over hurt. 
you know. I'm, I'm telling you, real talk. When a girl likes you, she's mean towards you. It, it, to men, it does not make sense. We can't figure out, why can't you just come and tell me that you like me? <laughs> because a woman is not going to do that. <laughs> She's not going to do that. She, it's much easier for her to be mean to you to protect her feelings because it's a vulnerability. If she comes up to you and tells you that she likes you, but you don't like her, she's crushed. She should respect the fact that she moved on. She should. But, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of us are still very emotionally immature. We're emotionally very immature. So, let me finish this off, inshallah ta'ala. So, like taking a second wife, it's not that, you know, he did anything that was wrong. You know, he didn't do anything that was haram, but he hurt someone's feelings. And oftentimes, as men, we feel like when we hurt someone's feelings, we have to overcompensate. We have to overcompensate. Alright? So... But you can't give someone, you know, I mean, like, first of all, as, as a man moving on in another relationship, you don't need anybody's permission to be happy, man. Let me let me say that as a man. You don't need any woman's permission, anybody's permission to be happy. You don't need anybody's permission to be happy. If you're happy, you don't have to be ashamed of that. You don't have to, when your baby mother come around you acting all, you know, funky towards your new wife just to prove to your baby mother that you don't have what she had with her. You know, you know what you had with her. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? Like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to let your, your child's mother, you know, call you all times of the night. And then when your wife says something to you about it, well, that's my baby mother. What you want me to do? And we use that phrase. That is my baby mother. That is the most, one of the most offensive and dismissive phrases that a man could use. So she can call you at 12 o'clock at night for, for, for reasons that are not even related to the kids or something that could have waited until tomorrow. And your wife is sitting there looking at you like, Damn, like, you don't even answer my calls when I call you like that. But that's my baby mother. That's the mother of my children. What do you want me to do? And it's just like, are you serious? That's the mother of your children. What do you want me to do? La ilaha illallah. La ilaha illallah. Are you serious? It is dismissive. She's calling for a pacifier. That's a very good, interesting way of looking at it. Very interesting. Very interesting. Right, like who's the wife here? Like, no, because you've given her. You've given her. What if something is weird? We're not talking about emergency situations. Obviously, no wife would be opposed to that if it was an emergency situation. But her, call, her calling you at 10 o'clock at night and you're in the bed with your current wife, and she calls and says, well, um, you know, I just wanted to make sure that you're going to be at the interview tomorrow for the kids' school, whatever the kids' like, you could have sent me an email. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Like, you didn't need to call me. You didn't need to FaceTime me, you know, to tell me that. That's what I'm talking about. We're not talking about, obviously, if the kids are in danger and it's an emergency situation. She calls and says, hey, listen, I'm rushing Muhammad to the hospital because he just split his head open. Obviously, even though the current wife will be like, let's go. We're going to the hospital. You understand what I'm saying? No wife who's any type of wife would be offended by that if it was an emergency. 
But we're talking about men not setting those boundaries from the beginning because there is this guilt. There's this guilt, this fear that if I set boundaries with my baby mother, she's going to believe that now I'm trying to be mature in a relationship. You understand? We don't ever want the, the ex-wife to say, oh, so now you want to set boundaries in your relationship. But when you were married to me, it was, you know, any woman could call you anytime. But now you're married to her. Now I can't call you at this time or that time. Right. We, we, we are terrified of that type of conversation. As men, we are terrified of that conversation because what we interpret that to mean is that the, the, the previous regime, the previous, you know, status quo, right, was fought, was flawed, was faulty. And we don't want to accept that. We don't want to have that is one of the hardest conversations for a man to have with his ex-wife. That you setting boundaries for her that you didn't even do in a relationship when you were married to her. It's like, oh, now you want to start <laughs> telling me when I can call and when I can't call. But, you know, when, when you was married to me and you was up all night on the Internet and you were talking to this girl and talking to that girl, it was all good in my relationship. But now you married to somebody else and now I can't call at this time or that time. You understand? That's a very difficult conversation. This is why we keep it on the Quran and the Sunnah only. I don't even understand what that means. <laughs> what does that even mean? You're 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 basically saying that if you follow the Quran and the Sunnah, you won't have these problems. <laughs> I, I don't even understand that. These are human problems. These are human problems that that you know emerge from human mistakes. You can be on all the Quran and the Sunnah in the world. It does not mean that you are uh, exempt from having these type of problems. Alright, so we have to as men learn how to stand in our discomfort or seek to make amends in a manner that is not intrusive. Seek to make amends in a manner that is not intrusive on the rights of the woman that is that just is your current wife. Alright, and this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's statement represents when he said, uh, Are you making something haram that Allah made halal for you, seeking to, you know, compensate and to reconcile the situation that you that you 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 infringed on? You infringed on somebody else's right, so you're seeking to placate the feelings of your wife, you know, by making something haram that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made halal. This is the concept from that ayah. Don't look at the Prophet Sallallahu specific situation. Take the concept here. Take the concept here and apply it to our lives. And the concept is here is that sometimes we have to just stand in the discomfort of our decisions. We made the decision. It is what it is. We messed up. And we just have to own that and stand in that discomfort. Opposed to trying to escape the discomfort and allowing this person to infringe on somebody else's right to make up for the wrong that you did. No, you can't do that, man. Alright? So, you allow the baby mother, the ex-wife, to call whenever she wants, to text whenever she wants, to show up with the kids whenever she wants. Or, Allah forbid, you speak about your current wife in any way you want to in front of your ex-wife. This is another thing that you adore opener. So when she says, oh, so you love her now, you love her more than you love me. Nah, it ain't like that. Like what we had, we will never, I would never have that with nobody else. And blah, blah, blah. And, we'll, and basically what you're doing is you're sending a message to your ex-wife who is not even your wife anymore. You're sending a message to her 
that gives her a special place in your life that allows her to infringe on the, you know, nah, man. If Even if she says, oh, so you love her now? Like, what do you think? We're married. We're in a relationship. Or don't even allow her to, don't ask me no questions about my current marriage. It's not your police. Don't ask me no questions about what goes on in my current marriage. It's not your place. That's my personal business. The only business that we have is as we are co-parents. Understand? Or well, law forbid you allow your ex-wife to say things about your current wife and you don't correct her. You understand what I'm saying? When you start allowing stuff like that, man, subhanAllah, you're opening up a door that would be very difficult to close. You understand what I'm saying? You never let your ex-wife talk about your current wife in your presence without correcting that. The Prophet ﷺ didn't even allow that with his own wives that he was married to. Right? When uh, Aisha said to the Prophet ﷺ, Hasbuka ya Rasulullah min Safiya kada wa kada. Aisha said to the Prophet ﷺ, you know, Safiya is like short and, and chunky and thick. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said, Ya Aisha, he said, Aisha, if I was to take what you just said about Sophia, and mind you, Aisha didn't say anything. She just motioned with her hands. This was non-verbal communication. Understand? She didn't even say anything verbally. This was non-verbal communication. And he said to her, he said, Aisha, if I was to take what you said and I was to mix it with the water in the ocean, it would pollute all of the water in the ocean. What was he not saying? What he wasn't saying was that your comment was foul. Your comment was foul and you need to stop. Your comment was foul and you need to stop. If I was to take what you said and I was to mix it with the water in the ocean, it would pollute all of those. That's how despicable your comment was about my other wife. This was one wife to another wife and he wouldn't tolerate it in his presence. So what about somebody who was an ex-wife? You're a non-factor, a non-factor in their marriage. And then you allow her to talk about your current wife in a manner that is disrespectful and you don't defend your wife. And this is why some women, when they marry to men and they come out of these type of relationships, they almost feel like on an island by themselves. It's like, yo, you don't even defend me. Like your mother disrespects me. Your grandmother disrespects me. Your ex-wife disrespects me. And you don't say anything to these people. You know what I mean? Like the woman is left feeling like defeated. Feels defeated because she's like, I'm married to a man that doesn't even protect my honor in my absence. You understand what I'm saying? Like, come on, man. And this is even, the, the situation is even exacerbated. You know what I'm saying? And this was even exacerbated, this is exacerbated even in matters of polygyny. Because believe it or not, and the polygynist couple in the Islamic community is basically on an island by, them, by themselves. Nobody wants the situation, to be honest with you. The parents of the first wife feel like the man marrying another wife is infringing on their daughter's happiness. Right? The parents of the second wife feel like she's an idiot for marrying into polygyny because they raised her better than that and she deserves better than that. 
So the polygynous couple is really on an island by themselves, to be honest with you, in the, in the Islamic community. And, you know, you have to make sure that, you know, you're, you're, as we used to say, your game is airtight, man. But you can't allow people to, to kind of infringe on, you know, the, the rights of your wife, on the honor of your wife. And you don't even say anything to defend her. And then it's always, well, that's my baby mother. What you want me to do? That's the mother of my children. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? It's like, what do you mean what I want you to say? <laughs> I want you to defend my honor as you're supposed to. Let alone the fact that I'm your wife. Defend my honor as a Muslim. As a Muslim. And then that those rights are even further, you know, emphasized because of the fact that I'm your wife. You understand? So, this was the Prophet's response to one wife who mentioned another wife in a non-verbal type of fashion. So, what do you think about a complete stranger? What do you think about a man allowing a complete stranger to talk about his wife right here again to placate her feelings? I don't want to say anything because that's my baby mother. I, you know, I, I know that I messed our relationship up, so I'm going to give her that. You know, she's just angry. She's just bitter or whatever. Whether she's angry, she bitter, it doesn't matter. She does not have the right. She does not have the right to infringe on the happiness on the marriage of your current wife. Don't give her that. Set boundaries. Don't give her that. Do not mention my wife in that light in my presence ever again. Nobody. Nobody. We're one and the same. You don't you don't disrespect my wife because if you allow a woman to disrespect your ex-wife to disrespect your current wife, she's basically disrespecting you in your face and you're not saying anything about it. She's disrespecting you because her anger is because of you. Not because of the second wife, but she's going after your current wife because when we're hurt, we want to hurt the people that the people who hurt us love. I'll say that again. When we are hurt, we want to hurt the people that hurt us, the people that they love. You understand what I'm saying? So instead of a ex-wife taking her pain out on the ex-husband, she's going to attack someone that he loves. Because the quickest way to get to somebody is to attack someone that they love. You understand what I'm saying? To attack the person that they love. And this is why when, when uh, Aisha spoke about Khadija in that manner, and this was his ex-wife, but she was deceased. But she had such a profound, ex he had such a profound experience with her. And it had nothing to do with the fact that they had children. Because he mentioned that last when Aisha said to the Prophet, why do you keep mentioning Khadija when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you somebody better? And he said, Allah didn't give me somebody that's better. He said, She believed in me when nobody else believed in me. And she believed that I was truthful when everybody else called me a liar. And she aided me with her wealth when everybody denied me their wealth. And... On top of all of that, she had all of my children. You understand? So it wasn't the fact that that was his baby mother or that was the mother of his children. It was about the experience that he had with her. You understand what I'm saying? It was about the experience that he had with her. And that was worth protecting. So even if she is your ex-wife, you know, the experience that you had that was great, 
then that should be respected. The mistakes and everything that come along with that. But you can't, you know, give the person full access, you know. So make no mistake about it. His defense of Khadija was more about the experience that he had with her and not the fact that, and, and the loyalty that she extended to him during that time when everybody else turned their back on him. Um, and not necessarily because she was the mother of his children. Brother, stop using the fact that she's my baby mother. As if she being your baby mother is like the, you know, the Hail Mary pass that she gets to infringe on everybody else in your life because she's the mother of your children. So what? So what? And some women do it too. Well, that's my baby father. Well, that's the father of my children. So what? This is some stuff that we brought with us from Jahiliya that has no place in Islam. This has no place in our religion. Stop bringing this pre-Islamic ignorance into Islam, into our current narrative of Islam. This, this whole idea, this is my baby mother, this is the mother of my kids, and you're giving her like this huge status. And the fact of the matter, dude, if she's your baby mother, or the mother of your children like you say she is, and you're giving her all the status, why in the hell did you divorce her to begin with? You follow me? Why in the hell did you divorce her to begin with? If she's your baby mother and she's the mother of your kids and you want to give her this huge status in your life because of the fact that she gave birth to your children, why in the hell did you divorce her? You should have just stayed with her. And you wouldn't have had to explain to anybody else, that's my baby mother. You understand what I'm saying? You wouldn't have had to do that to anybody else. Why in the world did you divorce her if you feel like she has unrestricted access to your life without, you know, without, without any, you know, retribution, without any of that? Why did you not, Why did you divorce her then? Please tell me, genius. Why did you divorce her? If you're going to marry into somebody else's life and still give her unrestricted access and then turn around and say, well, that's my baby mother, or that's the mother of my children, then why in the world are you with me? You should have stayed with her. You understand? Real talk, man. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just laying the facts out there, man. Don't kill the messenger. I'm just, I'm laying the facts out there because I get tired of seeing this stuff in Islam, man. And, and for the life of me, I can't figure why Islam came to nations before and made people better. And Islam comes to the African-American community and it don't seem like we're getting better. Many of the Arabs, they had traditional, you know, practices, cultural practices that they were able to shed that stuff and incorporate Islam into their lives and let it work for them. For us, it's the total opposite. We've taken the culture of Islam, the masha'Allah, the insha'Allah, the beard and the thobaba. This is all simple stuff. Anybody can do that. Anybody can grow a beard. Anybody can cut their pants above the ankle. Anybody can put on a hijab. Anybody can do that. We took the easy stuff from Islam. But the hard stuff, we left that at the door, man. We made that decision the day that we took our shahada. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. But all that other stuff, I ain't, I ain't with all of that. I'm not willing to give up who and what I was to become who and what I can be. Because of embracing this religion. We made that decision a long time ago. And it's frustrating as hell, man. Because we have the haq. We have the truth. We have the Quran and the Sunnah. We have the example of the Prophet ﷺ right in front of us. But we still will not embrace it. We won't. We won't do it. We won't do it.
not an issue of being respectful of others' positions. It's about setting boundaries. Setting boundaries and men standing in their discomfort. Oh, so now you want to tell me I can't call, but when I was married to you? Yeah, you're right. Because when I was married to you, I made a lot of mistakes. I was a, I was a nut when I was married to you. I'm, unfortunately, unfortunately for you. But I have learned some things along the way, and now I'm trying to do things the right way. Absolutely. So I'm sorry. You are not allowed to call me after 8 o'clock. When I enter into my home, that is my you know, place of, you understand what I'm saying? That's my home, my family, that I'm with my family. You do not call my, my home. You do not call my phone after 8 o'clock. Unless it's an absolute emergency. Yeah, I didn't do that when I was married to you. But I was, I was, a, I was, I was immature. I didn't understand. I didn't understand. But now I do. Oh, so now you get it. Yes, now I get it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't understand that when I was with you. I'm sorry. But you should be proud of the fact that I did learn something and I did mature. Right? I did mature. I did, you know what I mean? Because now it's not about you anymore. It's about our children. So, yeah, and that's discomfort. That's, that's very uncomfortable for us as men to realize that we messed up. But you got to own that. And when you own that, trust me, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will raise you. Allah will raise you. And eventually your baby mother, your, the mother of your children will eventually have no other choice but to respect the person that you have become. Stop avoiding that discomfort, man. Stop that. Yeah, I didn't know any better when I was married to you. Provide it. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I messed your life up. I feel like I ruined your life. I contributed to the person and what you are at this point. I, I'm sorry. Yes, I did. But now I've learned some things along the way. And, and I'm, you know, and I'm willing to be discomfort. I'm willing to be uncomfortable with the fact that you're upset that now I get it. But I cannot allow you, because of me feeling guilty, I cannot allow you to infringe on the happiness that I found in my current relationship. I can't. I can't do that. That I cannot let you do. So as a result of that, I have to set some boundaries for you. Like it who like it. Don't like it who don't like it. It's okay. What about all the damage done to her? That is what keeps us on the guilt trip. Well, what about me? You divorce me, you remarry, I still haven't remarried, so we start to feel this is where the survivor's guilt comes from. Because we survived this, this, this relationship with this woman, and we've moved on and found happiness. And we find that our baby mother, the mother of our children, she's just this bitter, you know, single mother. And sometimes our heart pours out for her, and we live on this guilt trip. And in some and in some instances, we still entertain her. We still texting her and personal stuff, and we still communicate with her. And she's living vicariously through you because of your guilt. She has to stand in her discomfort as well. Exactly, she has to stand in her discomfort. She has to own the, the own the feelings that she still has for you. She's living, oh, so where y'all going this weekend? I'm going to sit at home all by myself and watch Netflix and chill by myself. Where y'all going this weekend? She's living vicariously through her ex-husband and his current wife. Don't, don't allow that, man. What do you mean, where am I, where are we going this weekend? <laughs> no, 
I'm not, I'm not sharing details of my personal life with my current wife with you because I feel sorry that you still haven't found a, a husband and you still haven't been able to move on with your life and I moved on with my life. That's a survivor's guilt because we realized we came out of that situation. We found happiness and moved on and she hasn't. So there's a part of us that feels like, damn, I'm responsible for that. And part of it, yeah, you are. You are responsible for that. Absolutely. <laughs> you are responsible for that. You are responsible for that. Absolutely. You divorced her prematurely. Or you oppressed her and forced her hand to leave you. Alright? Yeah, you are responsible for that. But you have to be accountable for your own feelings of discomfort. You have to be responsible. You have to say, you know what? Yeah, I messed up. I'm really sorry about that. And you don't have to keep apologizing, you know what I'm saying? Like, for your happiness. Because you're happy now, and the more happiness you experience in your current marriage, the more you start to feel responsible for her unhappiness. You don't have to keep, you don't have to keep apologizing for the fact that you messed up. You can do that one time. You can do that one time and say, you know what? This is a conversation I need to have with you, you know, so I can bring closure to my life. When we were married, I wasn't in the best of states. When we were married, I was very immature. When we were married, you know, I didn't do things the right way. And I'm, and I'm, sorry, and I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. I really am. I'm sorry. You know, and, and, and there's really not much I can do to make up for that. I can make dua for you. I can ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, you know, use the pain that I've caused you as a means of you. And, and, and you can use that as a tawassal to get closer to Allah. Ask Allah because of the pain that, you know, I caused you. Then ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to raise you and to give you a better life and to give you a better situation because of the pain that I caused you. You can make tawassal with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can make dua with the pain that I caused you. You understand what I'm saying? You can you can make dua with the pain that I caused you. But I mean, I, I can't allow you to be disrespectful to me. I can't allow you to disrespect my current wife. And I and I'm not gonna ask your permission to be happy. I'm not. I found happiness in this situation, and I mean it is what it is. But I'm not gonna ask your permission to be happy. You understand what I'm saying? So sometimes men, we that guilt will have us tripping, man. It will have us asking an, another woman for permission to be happy. And you don't have to do that. So, you know, the you know, the, the worst thing, the worst thing that you can do is, you know, to share intimate details with your ex-wife about what's going on in your current marriage. If you you know I me, mean, stop using your, your ex-wife as your, your counselor. Your ex-wife is not your counselor. Oh, we were best friends, and so now we're going to continue to remain being best friends, right? You have this notion, right? That men have this crazy notion that you and your first wife, or you and your ex-wife, because y'all can't, y'all can't be married, so y'all create a situation where now y'all besties, y'all best friends, right? So every time you get into an argument or something with your current wife, you run to your ex-wife as your psychiatrist. She's your marriage counselor now. You gotta be kidding me, man. You don't think that there's any personal bias in that? You you understand what I'm saying? Like, no. The Prophet 
The Prophet وسلم, listen to what he said. He said, Inna min nas sirraha. The Prophet وسلم, listen to this, brothers, because we're guilty of this. The Prophet وسلم, said, The worst person, Inna min nas. indeed, the worst person in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in station, in position, in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment, is a man who was intimate with his wife, and a wife who was intimate with his, her husband, and then he goes and spreads the intimate secrets. You understand? You, you follow me. And this is not just restricted to sex. You going and telling your ex-wife, well, the sex ain't all that. You know, she still, you know, or vice versa. V vice versa. A woman remarrying and then going back to her ex-husband and say, you know, because men, we always have to say, well, is he better than me? What type of question is that to ask somebody? What type of question is that to ask of somebody? To fill, you know, to satisfy your ego. You asking your ex-wife, is her current husband as good as you were sexually? And then you go and confirm that. Nah, he ain't half as, you know, half as the man you were. Or vice versa with a woman. You know what I mean? I bet you she don't do the stuff for you that I used to do for you. No, she don't. <laughs> you write about that. That's one thing you got over her. Why would you even entertain a conversation like that with a woman that's not your wife about a woman that is your wife? Understand, like, like the intimacy that you share with your current wife, with your current husband, that is between you guys. And subhanAllah, with the creation of the internet and social media, we have used social media as a means to vent our frustration. And we don't even realize that we are infringing on sacred territory, according to Islamic tradition. You get on the internet and you talk about, oh, I wish, you know, people did. You know what I mean? Like, subhanAllah, Alim, man. The Prophet ﷺ said the worst person in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment is a man who was intimate with his wife and a wife who was intimate with her husband. And then they go and they spread that to other people. SubhanAllah. How you go and tell your ex-wife what's going on sexually between you and your current wife? Or vice versa with, your, with, with multiple wives. Why does a first wife or second wife knows what's going on intimately with your other wife? Why do they know that? Why is that even, why is that information even up for discussion? And it's sad, man, because the Prophet said these are the worst people in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What goes on between a man and his wife intimately, man, that's sacred territory, man. But we live in a time where anything is up for grabs when we in our feelings. When you and your feelings, man, it's fair game, man. I'm going to spread everything. The fact that he does this or the fact that he did that. And this is what goes on between husband and wife, man. Behind closed doors. And then you go in front of other people and you tell information, man. SubhanAllah, we got a lot to atone for, man. Yom Qiyamah, man. Some people are going to the hellfire. And some people are going to the hellfire simply because you got married. You stepped into the institution of marriage as a kid going into adult, you know, adult territory. And the fact of the matter is that if many of us would probably be, be on our way to Jannah if we never got married. Let me say that again. Some of us would have probably been on our way to Jannah had we never got married. 
but you stepped into a realm that belongs to adults as a kid. And now you are forfeiting your Jannah because of not knowing how to conduct yourself like an adult. This is why I'm encouraging you all to come out to the program that we're having this Sunday at Sister Claire Muhammad School in Philadelphia. Um, where we will have, you know, some, some very dynamic speakers, mashallah tabarakallah, to talk about some of this stuff. You know, we have Sister Nayila and Hassan Clay, that Clay Cumble coming from Atlanta, Sister Zara J coming from Atlanta. She's going to talk about how to navigate matrimonial websites. You got a lot of brothers and sisters on these websites, and there's a lot of, you know, games being played on these websites. Understand, and she's, she's, you know, that is her domain, and she's going to give you some tips and some, you know, some knowledge so that they know how to navigate these sites so you know what to look for and be aware of and protect yourself. Um, we have Sister Aisha Prime, mashallah, tabarakallah, who's going to talk about how to manage your marriage. You got married, all right, now what? How do you manage this joint, man? What's the playbook? Uh, my, uh, Dr. Brock, Raymond Brock Murray from Atlantic City, mashallah, tabarakallah, who's going to come down um, and talk about um, having your cake and eat it too. And how you expect your marriage to survive without these four aspects of the sunnah. So that's his talk. As well as my talk, uh, 10 telltale signs that you are not ready for marriage. 10 things that if you have these things in you, you shouldn't even be married. You shouldn't even be in the zone of marriage. And this is Sunday, inshallah ta'ala, from 4 to 9. There will be food. Um, come out, bring your family, bring your children, man. Yes, we will live stream the event, inshallah ta'ala. We will live stream for those who cannot make it. But if you're in the area, man, mashallah, come down and enjoy the, you know, the brotherhood. Enjoy the sisterhood. Things are changing, if you guys haven't noticed. Things are changing. Times have changed. And things are different. Things are different, you know. And inshallah ta'ala, you know, we, we will have that. So, in ending, um, let me give you a few reasons why the baby mama acts the way that she acts. I'm going to give you six reasons why the baby mama acts the way that she acts. Okay, brothers, I want you to pay attention. And sisters, if you are this baby mama, then you need to check yourself. If you are this baby mama that I'm mentioning, you have any of these six qualities, then you need to check yourself. Number one, the reason why you have baby mama drama is she's acting in this manner because she knows that you still have feelings for her. She knows this, so she doesn't take your new marriage serious. <laughs> she doesn't even take it serious. Yes, the event is free. The event is free. The food is for sale, and that's, you know, to help the message out. Um, they have a full kitchen in the basement, um, and that is to help out, you know, for the masjid. But the event is free. The baby mama drama is as a result of the fact that she knows that you still have feelings for her. She knows that you left the marriage prematurely and that she knows, given the right circumstance, you would come back to her. So she doesn't even take your current marriage serious. Like, you gotta be kidding me. After all we done been through, I know you still love me. <laughs> I don't even take, I don't even respect your current marriage because I know you still have feelings for me. And she's very disrespectful. Right? And that is because somewhere along the line, you did not cut off loose ends. Men, sometimes when we talk to women, we leave 
gray area. We leave gray area. We say things like, you know, I, I'm, you know, it's it's over. But you know, I know, you know, maybe who knows? Maybe in a few years, inshallah, we'll be able to get get back together. That's all you gotta tell a woman, and she knows that she got you. You understand what I'm saying? Maybe in a few years, inshallah, we, we leave a little room. Absolutely, we leave a little gray area that is, you know, subhanallah, stop talking like that. When you're talking to a woman, you have to be very clear. You have to articulate yourself in a clear language. There will never be anything between me and you. Nothing. We are done. Sometimes she doesn't want to accept that at that moment. Like, I know you're just talking. But as time goes on, those words start to resonate with her because she sees that you haven't done anything that confirms the opposite. Sometimes we say things and then we go back and we do things that are different. And it leaves the woman to believe that, okay, you're just saying that because you're angry. You're just saying that because you're upset. Right? You have to say it and then you have to follow that up with actions. Leave gray areas because they're not clear. You're absolutely right. Because deep down inside himself, he's not sure if leaving her is the right thing to do. But he's already on that trajectory, so he can't really turn back and make himself look like a sucker. He's not going to do that. But what he will do is create some gray room to let the woman know that I'm not really sure about this transition. I'm going to go through with it. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, um, you have baby mama drama because the woman is aware of your weakness. You've exposed to her your weakness. When the woman knows that she can get underneath your skin with just one text message, she will do it for entertainment. <laughs> she will do it for the entertainment. And it gives her satisfaction. She knows that she can send you one text message and you'll leave the house, go outside, call her and yell at her, whatever. She got you. She knows your weaknesses and she plays on that. She does it for pure entertainment. And use the children to manipulate you. Oh, I'm coming by to get my kid. I'm coming by to get um, Abdullah. I'm coming by to get Muhammad. And it's like 10 o'clock at night. You're like, how are you coming by to get Muhammad? It's 10 o'clock at night. You sleep. I don't care. I'm coming by to get him. And you're just like, where in the world is this behavior coming from? Bring him outside. I'm outside right now. Bring him outside. Bring me my son. And you're like, oh my God, are you serious? Because she can. She knows that that gets underneath your skin because you've shown her a weakness. Don't show the woman the weakness. When she does things and you have to learn how to condition yourself to say, okay, I'm not going down that road with you. You know, you sent a couple of text messages. You want your son. I'll bring you your son. And, you know, who does this? Where? What rock have you called from up under? It gets worse than this. I'm just giving you the, the, the PG-13 version. I haven't even given you guys the rated R version. I'm giving you the PG-13, the, you know, <laughs> gotta be kidding me, man. Alright, so don't expose the weakness. Don't let her know that she can poke holes, you know, in you. Alright. Um, I'm not associated with men and women who do this either. But the reality of it is that it exists. 
and we have to address it. We can't ignore it because it doesn't affect us personally. None of this goes on in my life personally, but I don't have the luxury to sit back and act like it doesn't exist. It exists. It's here, staring us right in our face. Staring us right in our face, and I don't have the luxury to sit back and ignore it. I don't. All right, number three. Um, why you have baby mama drama? As a, as a man. And sisters, you can share this with your current husbands if they have this drama. To help them make sense of what they are experiencing. Alright? Um, one of the reasons that you have baby mama drama is because you and your ex-wife have all, all, always communicated with one another in an unhealthy manner. This was the nature of your relationship. So she is just continuing the tradition in your new marriage. So you learn how to communicate effectively to get what you want from the other person. You guys have always communicated in an unhealthy manner. And that just kind of transitioned with you into your current relationship. So your current wife is looking at you like, dude, you guys are, this is an unhealthy situation. But they have always communicated with one another. So they just brought their baggage with them into your life. So then that means that you need to learn how to stop. Right? You have to learn how to stop and communicate with this woman in a manner that is more effective. Stop continuing the tradition of this unhealthy, you know what I mean? Stop. Number four, the drama is a cover-up for how she really feels. She cannot accept the fact that she still has feelings for you, even if she's remarried. Even if she's remarried. All right. And this um, and she is not mature enough to accept the fact that, you know, she still has feelings for you and just move on. As, as I, I, I told my son that just because you like someone doesn't mean that you have to act on it. Just because you think someone is cute doesn't mean that you have to act on it. Just because you still have feelings for your ex-husband doesn't mean that you have to act on it. You can still say to yourself, I still have feelings for him. I wish the relationship hadn't, you know, crumbled. You know, I wish we were still together, but nonetheless, that's not that's not where we are right now. You understand what I'm saying? These issues go on everywhere. Overseas, underseas, it goes on everywhere. I love how people disassociate themselves from, you know what I mean, from, you know, like, how, as if these things are restricted to just African Americans. Trust me, I flow through many communities. Indo-Pac, Arab, it's the same thing in every community you go to. Trust me. These are not things, you know, African American Muslims are not monolithic in our problems, man. Everybody has these issues. We can't disassociate ourselves from the Islamic community and say, I, these, I don't know where these things go on because I was raised here or I was done that. And this is no pun intended to you, sister. But what I'm saying is that we have to come to reality that these things go on in every community. I don't care where you go. I'll tell you some things about what go on in Saudi Arabia will make your head spin. Make the stuff that we do here look like nothing, like child's play. The stuff that we do here is nothing in comparison to what goes on in other cultures. Trust me. 
All you got to do is talk to some of your Arab friends. And if they're honest with you, they'll tell you that some of the stuff that they'll have us looking like we are the black eye of Islam. When in fact, the only reason why African-American problems stand out is because we're the minority. And it's easier to, you know, we're like the target on the wall. You can just throw your darts at it, right? We stand out like a sore thumb. But to be honest with you, all of these things go on in many of those, uh, many of those communities. I mean, in Saudi Arabia, women kill their husbands. Murder. <laughs> I mean, like, they had a show. When I was living in Riyadh, they had a show of women who were incarcerated for murdering their husbands. When their husbands take second wives, they murder their husbands. They kill them. And I don't think any of us have done, you know what I'm saying, done anything remotely close to that. All right? So, the drama. And if you are a baby mother, yes, they go to jail. What are you talking about? Yes. They spend the rest of their natural born lives in jail. Absolutely. Unless they are exonerated by the family. If the family forgives them, then Islamically, they will be let go. When I was in Saudi Arabia, I mean back in like 2006, there was a young girl who was being followed home by a young boy every day. He's following her home or whatever. And you know, in that culture, that's embarrassing, right? It's It's embarrassing. You know, she was married, young girl. She was married, but she still was going to high school. So the young guy was following her home every day, you know, asking to commit, you know, you know, having a sex with her. So one day she got tired of it and she invited him into the home. She told him to wait on the couch. She went into her husband's, you know, room and she brought out a shotgun and she shot him in the face and killed him. She went to jail for it. It was all over the news. You can Google it. It was all I was living in Saudi at that time. And, you know, she stayed in, you know, in jail for about five or six years or whatever until the family of the young man who was killed um, exonerated her and said, you know, they forgive her. And they paid the blood money, the tribes, they came up with a deal or whatever, and the parents paid the blood money, and she was allowed to go free. Yeah, it happens. It happens. All right, so don't, don't, don't disassociate, you know, problems from the, the main body, you know, um, in the community. It happens all over. It happens. So the drama that you're experiencing sometimes, brother, in you know, the baby mama drama is a cover-up for how she really feels. She still likes you. She's still attracted to you. She still has feelings for you. And she's not mature enough to accept the fact that she still has feelings for you. So it comes off like baby mama drama, but in fact, behind all of that, there is a real some real feelings there that have been not been addressed. There are unaddressed feelings and emotions that women don't just turn their emotions off like that. Men over time will just kind of get over it. Women don't function like that. A man can leave a relationship and it's, it's over with. Emotionally, he has no feelings for a woman, but then a woman, she will leave a relationship, but She's still attached. She's still attached. And she can't just turn it off. It doesn't work like that. And instead of her just confronting the fact that she still has feelings, she cannot just bring herself to accept the fact that I have feelings for him and let me move on. She, she, she has to, you know, bury those feelings underneath pain. And so she comes at you all types of ways. Is there du'a to remove those feelings or emotions? I mean, obviously there's du'a that to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's assistance in removing that, but that's still a process. 
women, you, you guys are like a faucet. When it turns on, it's, it's on. It's hard to shut that off. That doesn't just turn off like that. You are emotional creatures, yes. You know what I mean? Like you, the feelings are still there. But what you have to do is just own it. Just accept that you still have feelings for the person. You don't necessarily have to act on those feelings. That's part of what makes us adults. That's part of what makes us adults. When a man goes to work, he sees pretty women all the time. Just because you see a pretty woman doesn't mean that you have to act on it. Vice versa. Women are surrounded by, you know, handsome men all the time. Sometimes that, you know, look better than their husbands, look shape better than their husbands. But you don't have to act upon that. Just own the fact that, okay, I still have feelings for the person, but I need to move on with my life. I still need to move on. And sometimes men are still the one, you know, who, you know, we can't keep letting, you know, uh, using religion to exclude the human part of uh, or the human responsibility of getting over some of our issues. We like to chalk it up as make dua, inshallah, get up at the third of the night. Yeah, that helps. But that is not you still when you make dua for something, do you just sit back and just magically watch it happen? Or when you make dua for something, you have to go out. And seek the thing that you're asking Allah for. You cannot exclude the human accountability for your du'a. When you make du'a for something, you have to go after it. You can't say, oh, Allah, bless me with children. And then sit back, not get married. Sit back, not do what is necessary to have children. You know what has to happen. You make du'a for children. And then you seek the means. asbab. You seek the means by which you can attain the thing that you ask for. Like the tie your camel scenario, absolutely. You you can't we can't keep chalking it up to dua and chalking it up to you know you understand what I'm saying? Like you can't you can't we can't keep chalking it up to dua and getting up at the third of the night. All of those things help, but all of those things are just means, right? And to be accepting of the lost country. All right, so. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran وَلَا تَنْسَوَ الْفَضْلَ بَيْنَكُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ بَصِيرٌ And do not forget the good times that you have between each other. This is Allah commanding us that even though we separate, we should still cherish and honor the time that we had. But move on. Move on. Don't forget the good times that you had with one another, but learn how to move on. Let me finish so I can have a couple of minutes for questions and answers. Number five, um... Or she doesn't, uh, I mean, in, in, in continuation of number four, um, or she doesn't want to believe that she still loves him. So she acts out in ways that supposedly expresses hatred or disdain when in fact it is a cover up for what she really feels. That means she really has still feelings for you, but she acts out in a way that try to throw you off her scent to make you believe that she doesn't still have Feelings for you when in fact she does. Number five, the rest of her life is out of control. So she becomes more controlling over your life, over the areas of your life that she has control over, i.e. your kids, your relationship, if you give her that power. Brother, understand, sometimes when you separate from your ex-wife, her life is out of control. Financially, she's, you know, out of her life is out of control. Emotionally, she's out of control. So when people start to lose a grip on the things that they want control over, they usually try to control the things that they do have control over. This is what makes supervisors and managers the buttholes that they become when they come to work. Right? Because their life 
Their personal life is in shambles and they have no control over it. So they come to work and they exert their control over you because they can control you. You follow me? Using the babies, right? Those are my children. I don't want my children at her house. I don't want my children going here. They're going to exert control over areas of your life that they control over that they have control over simply because their life they have no control over it. You divorced her, you took her marital life away from her, so in turn, she has no control over the fact that you divorced her and you separated from her, so now she's going to try to get ground where she has control, and that is your current marriage or your children. So, you know, to speak to the baby mama drama, a lot of it has to do with, you know, okay, so then what's the solution to that? So do you step into her life and help her manage her life and fix her life. No, that's something that she had. That's her journey. That's her journey. You can be a little more, you know, sympathetic and, you know, a little more empathetic to her struggle or whatever the case may be, but um, you can't step in that ring with her. That's her fight. You can be in her corner, but you can't be in a ring with her because then how does that translate to your current wife? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? We're sending mixed messages. You divorced her, but yet you still there helping her out financially. You still helping her out this, you know. And brothers allow that guilt trip to take them down that road. You can't do that. You, you can't do that. What we had is what we had, and now this is your journey. So what happens when he don't pay their dues in regards to children? That's a whole nother discussion. That's a whole nother discussion in terms of what they agreed on and him not paying. That's a whole other discussion right now. We're not discussing that. We're talking about the feelings and the emotions, the fear, the guilt trip that men feel that, okay, she's struggling financially. So now I got to pinch off what I'm making financially to help out my ex-wife because, you know, and then mind you, yeah, she has your children and yeah, you know, you still have a responsibility to take care of your kids. But there's a fine line between that. There's a fine line between you taking care of your kids and you taking care of the mother of your kids. You understand what I'm saying? And the fact of the matter is that if she's financially not in a situation to maintain your kids, then it would probably be a good idea to say, hey, why don't you let them come stay with me until you get your life together? I mean, obviously, talking to your current wife about this first. Uh, you know, but you, you can't jump in the ring with her. That's her fight. You can be in the corner. You know, rooting for her and making dua for her, but that's not your fight, man. Uh, number six, and this will be the last one. All right. Um, she sees you giving your current wife treatment that she didn't receive from you. All right. You've matured. And seeing this side of you, it angers her. It pisses her off to see you lovey-dovey with this new wife, right? Because you didn't give the same love, respect to her that you are offering your current wife. And this also happens in polygyny. This is what Einstein called the compound interest. Pay attention. Operative term. Compa compound interest. What you have become as a human being is the price that you paid to get what you used to want. You get it? Who you become is the price that you pay for, for, for getting, you know, what you used to want. 
So it's hard for a woman to watch a man interact with a new woman in a manner that she has always desired from you. And as a man, although you've matured, you don't that 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 does not come without a price. The price that you pay for the person that you have become, right? The person that you've become is the price that you pay, right, to get what you used to want. <laughs> you understand? And it's hard. It's hard as a woman to see your and it happens even in polygyny. It happens even in polygyny. You know, you're, you you know you struggle with this man, and and in some instances, women have contributed to the man becoming a better man, and then he takes that contribution from his first or second wife, and then he goes and marries somebody else and becomes this great man, while his wife is sitting there looking at him like, well, damn, <laughs> I made you that person. <laughs> All the drama that we went through for you to get to that point where you're now mature, and then you go and marry somebody else <laughs> and give that away. You understand what I'm saying? It, and it happens. It happens. You know what I'm saying? It happens. You know, so... Compound interests, very, very deep concept, right? So the person that you become is the price that you pay to get what you used to want. So men who've become better in their relationships do not escape their past mistakes, right? They will haunt you even in your current relationship. Absolutely. That's the price you paid for becoming a better man. <laughs> Inshallah Ta'ala, I hope that, you know, some of the things that I mentioned, you know, was, you know, on point and, you know, we can kind of see ourselves through some of the information that was shared and, you know, we pray to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala that, you know, these, you know, these talks that they help us get better. These talks are not about, you know, exposing people. These talks about getting better, you know, putting very tough conversations on the table. My job is to find the most difficult discussions that are not we are not having in the Islamic community and bring them to the table. I'm going through this situation right now, but I'm not angry that he has matured. He's moved on, and so have I. I like his new wife, and, and, and me and him are better as friends, and we co-parent well. Alhamdulillah, that's very mature. That's very mature, alhamdulillah. That's very mature. And although it's, it's, it's painful to watch him now mature and, you know, act differently with the new wife. And, you know, he gave you his behind the kiss. You understand what I'm saying? But that's, that's part of your learning process, man. They're not ready for these conversations. Sister Zainab, you might be on to something. But, I mean, we're having them. Alhamdulillah, we're having them. My, my job is not to sit with you and, you know, with your discomfort. I'm just putting the information out there. You got to tussle with that however you have to. You know what I'm saying? I'm going through this as a grandmother. May Allah make it easy on you. I'd rather not hear about it or see it. Well, that's, that, you know, but that might be a part of your maturation. You're not ready for, you're not ready to deal with that. You're not ready to deal with that. And, that, and that's okay. We have to be okay with not being okay. <laughs> I don't want to see that. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, at, I'm not in that place right now to be able to see my ex-husband, right, or my current husband interact with another woman better than he interacted with me. I'm not ready for that. And that's cool. That's okay. The, the most important thing is to just be honest with yourself. 
All right, so we've got a couple of minutes for a couple of questions, inshallah ta'ala. Um, let's keep it related to the topic. Some of the stuff that you guys are asking about not taking care of the kids, not allowing seeing the kids, th those are those are those are heavy discussions for other top you know, for another time. All right. So Periscope, I'm going to turn you guys off, and then I'm going to turn it back on for questions and answers, inshallah. Is it okay to still have relationship with your ex-in-laws that involves speaking with them on a daily basis, hanging out with them, etc., even if it causes the opposite spouse to feel uncomfortable? No, it is not. No, it is not. No, it is not cool to do that. <laughs> because families, when you marry someone, there's a, there's a type of loyalty that people have. And part of you hanging out with your ex husband or ex-wife or your ex-spouse's family members is doing very little to convince your current spouse that you are loyal to them. You understand what I'm saying? I love sit with your discomfort. It's hard, but I love that. I learned this. Absolutely. That's part of being an adult. That's part of being an adult. That you've made some decisions that you regret. You can't change them, and you just got to sit there. It is what it is. That's part of being an adult. You got to live with regret. You got to live with that. You can't change it. How to heal emotionally and move forward. That's a process. And, you know, that's a process for professionals to help you with. You, you have to have people that you can bounce things off of. You have to have people that you can have real discussions with that can be in that moment with you and help you navigate through those emotions. You can't do that by yourself. You're going to learn. When you try to do that by yourself, then you, you, you learn how to self-heal, self-soothe. And sometimes self-soothing can be, you know, disastrous. Sometimes self-soothing can be, you know, counterproductive. You have to be able to sit with people that you can bounce things off of that are going to give you honest truth. Whether you want to hear it or you don't want to hear it. And those are the people that genuinely love you. Someone who tells you exactly the way it is without cutting corners with you is a person who wants to see you heal. But when a person placates your feelings and tell you, oh, just get over him or whatever the case may be, they're not, they're, either they don't know how to be genuine and sincere or they're just not genuine and sincere. Sometimes sit with elders. The only thing about sitting with older people, um, and, and this is older people that have learned how to heal. Just because they're older, just because they're elders, does not mean. Because believe it or not, there are many older women that are in abusive relationships than younger people. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. Why? Why is it that statistically older people are in you know, emotionally and physically abusive relationships than younger people. Because a lot of times we have this whole sit with my elders and the older people like they got it all figured out. They don't, honestly. They don't, not all of them. Some of them have learned how to heal in a healthy way and have, you know, reconciled a lot of the issues that they've gone through. But the reason why a lot of older people are in abusive relationships is because when a woman is married to a man, and a man, as he gets older, starts to lose a lot of his faculties. Maybe sexually, he's not able to perform like he used to. 
right? He becomes very frustrated. Financially, he's not able to get up and go out and earn a living. They become frustrated. And where do they take that frustration out on? They take it out on the wife. My grandmother was a victim of that. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. They become very abusive, right? And this is why it's dangerous to let your grandparents, you know, those type of grandparents raise your kids. Because they start to raise your kids not through the same lens that they raised you. When they raised you, they were in their 30s and 40s. You understand? They were at a different place in their life. Now they're 50 and 60. They get frustrated very quickly. They get angry very quickly. They're losing you know, control over a lot of their faculties. And then we got our baby children around them. And, you know, sit down every five minutes. Don't do this. Don't do that. Sit down. Be quiet. You know, and the children are put in a situation, man, where, you know, it's not healthy for them. It's not healthy for them because those type of parents, those type of grandparents, they're still struggling with a lot on their own. Uh, Professionals, invaluable because usually the issue is not the ended relationship, but the underlying psychological issues. Yes, very true. Very true. <laughs> Can't wait for the unique counseling or professional help, man logic or woman logic. For some reason, people fear getting help. Emotional pain is hard. Very, yes. Well, the whole idea of counseling and things like that, that's a new concept in the Islamic community. That, that is fairly new. I would say within the past maybe 10, 20 years. I would say since about maybe 2005, 2006. Especially in the African American Muslim community. You might have some professional middle class American Muslims that say, Oh, we've been doing counseling for years, right? But for, for those of us from the slums, from you know the, the lower class, you know, Sorry, we don't have that same experience. I love how people try to project their experience of Islam on everybody else, right? The moment you say, you know, some Muslims are very racist. I don't know any racism in Islam. You know, I grew up amongst Arabs and I grew up amongst... And I've never experienced... MashaAllah, Tabarakallah. So because you've never experienced and that means it doesn't exist. So now you become the standard for everybody else. It's dismissive. So that means that basically the brothers and sisters who have experienced some racism with Muslims and certain Muslim communities, right? Basically, they're crazy. (laughs) They're crazy. (laughs) Because you didn't have that same experience. Well, that's not my experience. Like those type of Muslims. (laughs) People see counseling as weak, but uh, it's truly not... Especially when you need the help. Uh, when you need the help, you can't deny it. Understand something that even doctors need doctors. Even doctors need doctors. Understand that. So even if you are a, a, a marriage counselor in your community, that doesn't mean that you, when you're having marital problems, that you are exempt from having someone to you know assist you in your marriage. Even teachers have teachers. You understand what I'm saying? Even if you have a degree for teaching, you still learned how to teach from another teacher. And even people who are doctors who need to have surgery, they can't perform surgery on themselves. They still got to go to the hospital, still got to follow the same procedure. 
So even doctors need doctors. So it doesn't matter how smart you are. doesn't matter how much how religious you are. It doesn't matter. You know, all of those things are irrelevant. When you have, uh, you reach a point in your marriage where, you know what I mean, like you need help, then you have to seek the help. Counselors receive counseling. It's highly recommended in the practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, any other questions? How do you change what you attract? I, I don't know what you mean by that. Please explain. Expound. Is it necessary to check or address every situation disrespect to prove your loyalty? That's a good one. Some men are put in a position sometimes by their current wife to check every single act of disrespect to prove their loyalty to their first wife. And this is this is emotional abuse. This is emotional abuse. I should not have to check my ex-wife every single time she says or does something that is disrespectful just to prove to you that my loyalty is to you. The fact that I married you, the fact that I wake up to you every day, the fact that I spend all of my money here, all of those things should validate my loyalty. Sometimes I'm not going to be able to correct my child's mother every single time. Because she's, it's a process for her. She's still learning how to, you know, navigate her emotions as well. It's a process. And I don't have to have every discussion with her in front of you to prove my loyalty to you. Well, you didn't say anything to her about that. How do you know I didn't say anything to her? Because I didn't tell you about it? Because I didn't do it in front of you? Like, subhanAllah, Ladeen, where is the benefit of the doubt? Where is the benefit of the doubt? Subhanallah, man. I wonder if the language barrier contributes to the disconnect between African Americans and the Arab world. I'm sure that that has something to do with it. I think it's more the culture. I think it's more the culture. But yeah, you know, brother, stop letting women put you into this, you know, this emotional, you know, prison that, you know, I'm not going to accept you as being loyal until you do X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? Like, there's other things that prove my loyalty to you as a husband, aside from me checking my ex-wife when she's out of pocket. And I don't have to express to you or explain to you every single time I correct her. Because obviously, correcting in public is not the right thing to do. Wherever a man spends his time and his money, that's where his heart is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And women should accept that as, you know, as a token of loyalty. But so understand something if you want your if you want his ex-wife to be receptive then let him do that in private you should encourage him to admonish her in private you should encourage him to say something to her in private not in front of you number 1 you don't want to be a part of that conversation and number 2 if he if he admonishes her in public in front of you then that's not called nasiha that's called fadiha exposing her nasiha in the islamic tradition is done in private Exposing someone is done in public. That's not even part of our religion. But here again, you know, you know the first, the the current wife just needing that, you know, you know, that reassurance. And you have to find another way to get your reassurance. Making your husband correct his ex-wife, his child of mother, uh, the mother of his children, in front of you, in order for you to feel like he's loyal—that that is an insecurity on your part as a woman, 
That's your insecurity. And you have to find other ways to validate that insecurity. Making him correct his baby mother in front of you to make you feel like he's loyal to you, that's totally unacceptable. Islamically, it's unacceptable. Because advice is supposed to be given. Now, if she disrespects you to your face, you understand what I'm saying? And he happens to walk up. You know, to the situation and he tries to, you know, I think you owe her an apology or whatever the case may be. Then, yeah. But if your wife comes to you and says, you know, your, 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 I saw your baby mother today and she said this or she did that or whatever the case may be. You can't wait until they are in the same space and say, hey, listen, come here. I think you owe an apology. No, nah, you fix the situation as it is. You don't need to expose her in front of her to make her feel valid. That's still the mother of your children. And you know what I mean? Like this should still be a level of respect. Nor should a wife want or require her husband to do that. Islamically, you shouldn't require her to do that. However he does it, just give her some nasiha. Give her some advice. When you get a chance, please address her about blah, 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 blah. And then let him handle that. And you should trust knowing your husband that he's going to correct her. He's going to correct. He's going to correct her. Your your reassurance is the fact that you're married to him, and she's not. Well, that's not necessarily reassurance, <laughs> especially when you see that you know he still has feelings for her, and you know, no, nah, that's that's not that's not going to get it. <laughs> the fact that you're married to her, because you know how many people are actually married physically, but they're not married emotionally, so that's not necessarily going to get it. <laughs> Alright, I got time for one more question and then we got to conclude, inshallah. One more question. So do you guys get the principles, the you know, all of the concepts that, you know, we're talking about here? And, you know, go back to with your husbands. If you have a husband that is experiencing these things, you know, have these discussions. This is a real discussion. This is not, you're wrong, I'm right, black and white. This is not that type of discussion. This is, hey, here is probably why we're having these problems with, you know, this whole baby mama drama. This is probably some of the reasons. And let's re-examine this whole discussion. I want you guys to go back and listen to this discussion with pen and paper and be able to jot down the fine points and go to your Facebook pages and share some of this information, man. Everybody is not going to listen to a two-hour lecture. So it now becomes your responsibility to sift through the information, pull out stuff that you believe is relevant to your circle of friends, and make that information available. Bring the information to your community, absolutely. It, doesn't, it may not apply to a lot of people. It doesn't apply to me, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not going to say anything about it because it doesn't apply to me. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. Insecurity seems like a big issue. We need more lectures on how to deal with insecurities. No, I, I think for you women, that's a discussion that I can't tell a woman how not to be insecure. Because then it comes off as chauvinistic. It comes off as, you know, I'm speaking from a place of privilege because as a, as a man, I don't necessarily get caught up in those emotional bouts with myself about insecurity. That is a discussion you guys need to have. And I keep telling you, sisters, man, we need educators. We need scholars from amongst you women. Stop with the fashion shows. Stop with all of this, this frivolous gatherings, man, and start creating gatherings of ilm, of knowledge. Knowledge. And you have many qualified sisters, man. 
many. And you don't have to be a scholar on that level, man, but knowing how to navigate through the Quran and the Sunnah, knowing how to piece together some information or whatever the case may be, th this is a discussion that you guys need to have. I cannot do a lecture about how women shouldn't be insecure. I wouldn't even feel comfortable doing a lecture like that. It would come off chauvinistic. How would I look as a man sitting here telling you women not to be insecure? I, I couldn't do that, man. You can do both fashion shows and in. Yeah, but we can't. You got to work yourself out of the negative before you can start talking about the positives. Right now, we can't talk about fashion shows because there is no Islamic lectures and conferences going on for all women. There is none. So you can't say we can do both. <laughs> you can say we can do both when there's an equal amount of Islamic lectures and conferences going on for women. And then there's, you know, there's fashion shows. You can say then we can do both. But you guys haven't even worked yourself out of the negative. We see a lot of conversing online. We see a lot of sisters, you know, you know, and there are none, none. The whole, you know, sisters conference in Maryland. I mean, okay, cool. You been that been going on for thirty years. Whoopty. What has it changed? What has it changed? The same speakers, the same people running it. Nothing, nothing new is going on. We need, you know, new scholarship. We need new scholarship, man. We need some of you younger sisters who have been sitting in classes all of your life. When are you going to start disseminating some of that information? When are you going to start filtering the information that you are learning and being able to break it down and explain it in a manner where you can benefit the next generation of sisters? When is that going to happen? You're going to keep sitting in lectures for the rest of your life? When does the education part start? Some of you grew up in Islam. You've been attending lectures since you could remember. But you haven't said one thing about Islam. You haven't developed one program. You haven't created no online presence to you know, disseminate some of this information back out to the community. Just like our money, that our information is not being filtered, refiltered through our communities. We get it, and then we take it back out and give it out to somebody else. <laughs> You understand what I'm saying? Um, same thing we do with our money. We get paid and then we spend all of our dollars outside of our community. The money does not filter, does not change ten hands before it leaves our community. And the same thing happens with our knowledge. We sit in a lecture and then we'll go and get into a frivolous debate with somebody who, you know what I mean, like who doesn't even require that level of discussion. Get the knowledge and then refilter it back into our communities. Getting women, nah, I, I, it's a new day. You guys not realizing it's a new day, new time. Getting sisters together to do this, nah, I don't think that that's, I don't think that's difficult. I don't think that's difficult. In this day and time, I don't think it's, it's a new day. It's a new day. It's a new day. Jazakumullah um, khairan for your, um, you know, you can email me a serious question, inshallah. I have to go. We've been here for two hours and some. And I, I don't know about you, but I do have a life and I do have some other things I need to take care of today.
Um, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. Um, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to benefit from one another, to continue benefiting from one another, because some of the things that you share, I benefit from as well. All right? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa salama taslimi kathira wa akhiru da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi.